Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Drum roll, por favor. <laughs> you guys. I knew it was going to be exciting. I was just waiting to see what, see what was I was going to do. Uh, Old Testament is beginning today, right now, whenever you're watching this. We are ready to go. This is so. We've we been looking forward to this for four years. We should have had a sparkler. I could have just held it while we were <laughs> so excited. We're so excited, uh, yeah, everyone. The, the, there are just too many just good things to I say. Was so <laughs> and also, I was teaching my seminary class this morning, and I told him it was our last lesson in the Doctrine and Covenants. And one of the boys was like, oh, no. And I was like, what? And he's like, I can't study the Old Testament. I tried once. I started reading it. I had no idea what was going on, <laughs> and I gave up. And I said to him, you are about to love the Old Testament. And he said, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Said, that is your goal you for the just year, wait by for, the way. Yeah, you just wait for goal. one month. You are going to be in love with the Old Testament. Don't even be nervous, everyone. Yeah, we've done a lot to get it ready. Okay, um, are we ready? Do we want to? Oh, the time. Do we do the timeline first to show everybody? Yeah, what let's our do the piece timeline is? first. That's okay, so if you don't know about this, um, you can sign up at don'tmissthestudy.com to get our newsletters. If you don't have them, if you do, the link is in your newsletters. We created a timeline for the whole Old Testament. And each week, it's blocking you. Don't feel bad. You can do whatever you want behind there. Um, each week, we're going to have a little piece that you put on, and we will follow through the whole story of the Old Testament. This is going to help you because the Old Testament is kind of overwhelming, and there's so many stories going on. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That It takes place over a 1,000 years, and sometimes you start getting confused who everyone was. So we've picked one thing to remind you about every lesson and we'll just go week by week, and then you're gonna be able to go through and be like, oh, remember this happened here, and then this happened, and the whole Old Testament's gonna come alive for you. And this link will be in the newsletters forever, this whole entire year. So if you're just joining us at whatever point, it will always be there. But the piece for every week will be the second picture down in the newsletter every week. So that's how you're gonna know, and this is the one for this week, um, we'll tell you. And you just put tape on it, or however you're doing it, Okay, click, and there just you go. like that. Week one. Okay. This says, what What does it say? I am the Lord God, thou art my son, I have a work for thee. Oh, so wait, until you guys hear this lesson, this, you're going to love this that so story. much. Yeah. So we're going to just start out and uh, try and win your heart on the Bible, everybody. It says right at the top of our journals, why the Bible? And let's just talk for a minute, why the Bible? And we want to start right in the introduction to the Bible. Did you know there was an introduction to the Bible? And it's written to the most high and mighty Prince James from the translators of the Bible. And you love that when they wrote in this letter after having the experience to translate the Bible, they say to him, um, this comes from the translators of the Bible and they wish grace, mercy, and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we just love that when you try and think who those translators were, it gives us a little bit of insight into those men as we read this letter that they wrote to him about their process 
of translating the Bible. And maybe we ought to just say something because we want to honor and, and kind of give due respect to not just the translators, but everybody that was involved in, in the history and the pulling together of this book. I mean, to us, they are just pages or on a phone and it is so readily available. But that is a fairly recent <laughs> um, description of being able to have these records. We just finished a book that takes place, if you take out the official declarations, over a span of about 14, 15 years. We're about to get... And in, he's talking about the oh, Doctrine, the Doctrine and Covenants, and Covenants, everybody, yeah, in case that's... you think we just read something this past <laughs> week. But this past year, we studied a book that took place over 14, 15 years. That we, we were looking at a lot of things happening in that short time span. This book takes... It covers a time span of about 4,000 years. And the compilation history of that book is about a thousand years long, meaning the work and the writing and the efforts I put up on here. You might want to put this in your box, in, in your study journal, in this little empty box that's up here. Just authors, scribes, translators. I also put the word smugglers up there because there was a time when it was illegal to have it in certain languages. And these pages, and this has been meticulously translated and passed down for a thousand years of work that was done. The King James translators, that there was about, they say 60 to 100, there's different estimates of translators working on this translation of the Bible, and it took them um, seven years. Yeah, seven years to do to, that. To pull it all together. But and that's just one. one. One translation. That's seven years of a thousand years of history of writing, transcribing, passing down to get us this, this. record in front of us today. We thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about these people who translated the Bible and even the process of it because it's a question we get asked a lot about that process. And we love that as they talk about the process, they just say great and manifold were the blessings of being given this opportunity of him being the person that, of James being the person who allowed them the opportunity to do this. And I love when they say this, if we hadn't, men should have been in doubt which way they were to walk. And he, they talk about this preaching of God's sacred word, an inestimable treasure which excelleth all the riches of the earth. There are so many lines in here. So before you even like dive in, it might be fun to read this letter written to um, Prince James and just pull out some of the things that these men learned. But let's talk about these men for a minute. We had the opportunity just barely to go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., if you have never been, it is worth going to. It just It is fascinating to be in there and, and mm -hmm. learn everything mm -hmm. that you learn there. So if D.C. is on your list of adventures in the near future, that is one place where you're going to want to go. And one of the things that we watch is this translation process taking place. And it goes through a lot of different stages, right? They start out... Um, the first full English Bible was in 1535. It was the Coverdell Bible. And um, they took the New Testament from Tyndale and the Old Testament from Luther. And then um, Thomas Matthew comes in and, and recreates this Matthew Bible translation. And then they took from the first and the second and made what was called the Great Bible. And it was a Bible created for churches. Every church was going to have this Bible called the Great Bible. 
And it was an edited Matthew Bible, but the, the man Coverdell, who did the first one, is the one who took the edited one and pulled that whole thing together. And then we get to the Geneva Bible, which you probably, that was one when I read it, I was like, oh, I've heard of that one before, which was in 1560. And it used Tyndale's translation and the Great Bible and brought everything together. And then um, they go from there into James saying, okay, we are gonna recreate this Bible. Um, and, and there were rules, there were 15 rules for creating this Bible translation that everybody was pulled into. And um, what they said was this, they were gonna, the first rule was they would use the Bishop's Bible. That was the one that was in all the churches. Um, then if they had questions in the translation of that Bible, they were allowed to go to Tyndale or Geneva and a couple others to help answer some of the questions. But rule number one was they were to alter as little as possible from the original words that were there, only if there were questions. The second rule was the names of the prophets and the writers were to be retained exactly how they were in there. Third, they were supposed to keep the old ecclesiastical or the church words, the uh, words that were written in there. They were not going to change those and, and try and make them different. If a, for, if a word had a diverse meaning, you would keep the one most commonly used um, between the three. Five, they were not allowed to alter the division of the chapters. Six, they were only allowed to put marginal notes in that explained the Hebrew or the Greek words in a better way. Remember, we've talked about this before, that if you understand the Hebrew and the Greek, it, it sometimes gives you a fuller picture of a word. That was part of that original translation. Um, seven, you could also put in the marginal notes quotations of verses that would reference one scripture to another scripture if they I thought that was helpful. I have anxiety about all these rules. We only have a I couple have so left. so much. I could never have been a translator, yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah. like, there's way too many rules. Once they were all done, so different people had different jobs, obviously, because there was so much. And once yours was done, it had to go to someone else and then everyone had to meet together and agree on the full translation of that chapter, whatever it was. Um, it had to be considered, I love number nine, seriously and judiciously. That was the <laughs> rule for how they decided. If any company had doubts or differs with so how someone did it, that had to be brought up at the general meeting. 11, um, you could, um, if there was any doubt, they would send a letter to a learned man for his judgment to come back outside of the group. Then number 12 was um, letters could be sent from bishops to clergy for translation of tongues to make sure it really was gonna work in like Spanish or in whatever language they would send out and be like, is, does this sound right compared to what we're saying? It still is right for you. Um, the directors of the whole project had to be deans from either Westminster, Oxford, or Cambridge. Um, and then to be used, the translations to be used was Tyndale, Matthew, Coverdell, the Great Bible, and the Geneva Bible. And then the last one, at the very end, they called them this. I love this so much. Three or four of the most ancient and great divines. That's what they call them. The three or four of the oldest and wisest would look over the whole translation and say if it was good. So don't you love the thought of as they sat down and started going through this work of translation, 
that um, their goal was to keep it as good as they could. Like it, it was their best effort. And when we read our and one article of faith that talks about as far as it is translated correctly, I hope that when we read that, we're like, they, they were just doing the best they could with the spirit they had and the oldest and most wisest men to help them bring together these words. Yeah, sometimes we have this idea of like these old bearded men who are like, you know, just maliciously trying to like take stuff out and whatever. And that just is not the common story Mm. of this. That, all those rules, I never, ever, ever want to be under that many rules in my life. (laughs) But I am so thankful for people who regarded the word of God so high. And so they just reverenced it so much that they were like, wait, this translation is the translation of God's words. And and they have to be preserved and protected and passed down and at great cost and great effort. And that was a six-year process of the 1,000. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like there are, you go back to the Masoretic texts and they are actually counting letters to make sure like they would make the middle letter in every book a capital letter so that you would know you could count backwards and forwards so you made sure you didn't miss any words hmm. as you went through it. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, it's and so they just crazy. so much effort because so, of this treasure. They're yeah. like, these words are a treasure, and they will show us the way to walk. And maybe more important than that... Before you go there, I just want oh, to say one yeah. more thing. Um, this year, you're going to hear us talking about a lot of different translations because the Old Testament language is really hard to understand. And... For those of you who feel like it is confusing to understand, there are other ways to help understand that better. So in our church, we read out of the King James Version, the translation we just taught you about. Um, We will always stick with that translation because that's what Joseph Smith did his translations out of, and they're married together. But there are other translations that are sometimes easier to understand. The verses will all match up. There will be, in Matthew 1, the same amount of verses. In Luke 10, the same amount of verses. Those verses will be telling the same story. But sometimes the English is just a little bit easier to decipher because it's not that King James language. Shakespeare, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an easier language. And so a lot of people, a lot of teachers, seminary teachers, professors at BYU, even sometimes you will hear in conference, um, Elder Uchtdorf has referenced from a different translation, and I think Elder Holland um, and Elder Bednar, I think, have all referenced out of other translations, just bringing in more perspective to understand. Some of the most common ones that you might hear us talk about are the NIV and the ESV. Um, the ESV is most close to the King James, so it's my favorite one to use because the English is a little bit clearer, but the word choice is almost identical and those will be other translations you might hear us teaching out of or or using to help us define a word that might be a little bit hard to understand in the king james so as you think about translations that will be helpful this year to think about yeah you can get an app which is the bible app and you will have so many translations on there for free or you can buy a copy of it off of amazon or something and if you are going to buy one We'd suggest that you buy a study Bible Mm. version of it. 
Um, there's a King James Study Bible. Yeah, there's you will an love NIV that one. Study Bible. There's an ESV Study Bible. And they include in the bottom just cultural references, footnotes, explanations about what's going on in the time, context, and things like that that are super helpful for understanding the world of the Bible. So you can get it, just the words on the app for free, or those study Bibles are actually, we both really, really love mm-hmm. studying from ours. Um, okay, that word, Old Testament. Um, that word testament can also be translated as covenant. That's what its intention was when it was written, the old covenant and the new covenant. And we love that concept and that idea. We're going to be getting in this in next time's lesson as we jump into the creation and the Garden of Eden. But that God has always been interested in having relationship and particularly covenant relationship with his children. It's the most intimate and personal type of relationship that you can find. It's always the prophets of the Old Testament will compare it to a marriage one. That's the best analogy that they can think of. But this is a story about God and his children and wanting to be in a close, intimate relationship with each other. But what you're going to find throughout that whole story is how it's his children who always will break that and walk away. And you just see that happening again and again and again. In fact, if you open up the table of contents, is that where we're going to open that up? Yeah, and, just and before kind of show we do that, it... as you're just talking about this testament, let's just talk about this for a minute because it's so awesome. When So you could call this the Old Covenant. Testament is a word that could be translated as covenant. So the Old Covenant, when we get to the New Testament, it will be the New Covenant. And I love what we call the Book of Mormon is also called another testament. Of Jesus Christ or another covenant of Jesus Christ we could call those three books that the old covenant the new covenant another covenant it's God trying to help his people wherever they were on the earth enter In into that period yeah. covenant relationship with him and we love the thought of that and so when we look at this Bible in the journal it says the Bible is a story of a God who promises and keeps his promise promises he's a God who covenants and keeps his covenants. We were with a friend of ours this weekend, um, Lisa Joe Baker, who is an author in the National Christian Market, and we were talking about the Old Testament. And she said, one of my favorite things about the Old Testament is it's the same story. It's God's same story to those people as the story given to the New Covenant or the New Testament people. And as we look at that, we would say, and the same story given to the people living in the Americas. And as you as you look at the Old Testament, it's so neat to think at the beginning is also the covenant given to the Jews, right? This is a covenant given to so many different religions and people and cultures and nations. And so we wanted to talk about that for a minute, just the idea of which part of the Old Testament is in the Hebrew Bible. Have you ever wondered that, what that would look like? Um, We thought that'd be interesting just to think what was handed down when like when Nephi got those plates, what was he getting exactly that they were keeping record of? And we thought that'd be fun to talk about. Yeah. So when you look through it, it's going to be divided up and you're going to recognize some of the names of the people that are in here. And there's different things happening in each of their stories. But we just want you to remember This is all one big story that's happening. But sometimes it's helpful just to kind of get oriented with the book. So um, these are something that we have new this year as a study tool that might help you. They're called tippins. 
As we teach seminary, we sometimes call them glue-ins because you glue them in. Um, that's why it's called that. But they are on this printed on this really nice scripture paper so it's that they don't... It's super thin, so it's not going to expand your Bible when you glue it in. And every once in a while, we'll just have one that kind of just... So that you kind of can remember something about that story, a lesson, or helpful like cultural context or, or background kind of stuff. And then We're when creating you come a back, study Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you come back to the Old Testament in years from now... Without having to rewatch everything, you'll be like, oh yeah, remember we talked about this. We talked about the Hebrew Bible. So the way that the Bible is organized is into three sections. The Hebrew Bible was divided into three sections. The top section was called the Torah, and that's the law, the first five books of Moses. Then you have the Nevaim. These are the writings of the prophets. This middle section are all these different prophets who are trying to apply the Torah in their particular lifetime. So some of them go into exile and it's like, how do we live the Torah as slaves in exile? Some of them are in building phases. How do we live Torah when we're in a stage of building or a stage of restoration? So there's the Torah. This is the explanation of the covenant relationship between God and his people. How do we live that out with all these different prophets during times of attack, times of safety, times of peace and stuff like that? And then at the end, they had an area that was called uh, the Kituvim, which is the writings. And these are kind of like the poetry and the wisdom literature that you find in the Bible. Um, the Hebrew Bible is called the Tanakh, and it's those three letters just smushed all together. So when you open up your table of contents, that's the order that they put all of the books in. They don't necessarily follow a chronological order. That's why we made the timeline for you. But they, So they're divided up um, categorically is what they are. So, so I'm going to show you how to use this if you've never done a tip-in before. You're going to just take a normal glue stick, and on this left-hand side, it tells you where to place each tip-in. So this one gets placed in the table of contents. You just drag your paper straight through this glue stick. Do you see how I'm doing like that? Like a knife. Just goes straight through. And then once you've dragged it through, you're going to take the place where you want to put it. So I'm going to put mine right here in my table of contents. And I'm going to slide it carefully right into the binding as Lift tight as I can. As tight go. as I can. Then I'm going to close my thing once and I'm just going to rub right against the binding. And then now whenever I open it, this is just right in here. And you can barely tell because we picked that really nice scripture paper that is so thin, you guys. And it will just go right in here. And then I can remember every time I come here. Okay, this is, this is where we look. What what would be similar for a Hebrew Bible? There it is. So this set, this lesson, you'll get to put one in the table of contents, and you're going to also have one that goes oh, into... Oh, not yet. That's coming next week. Oh. You're uh, just ahead of the I game. You're just ready. You're just really, really excited <laughs> to go. I was so excited. You so, just have one, everybody. It's this one. For this beginning lesson, um, we're not going to be in the actual Old Testament. We're going to be in the Pearl of Great Price. This year, we combine the Pearl of Great Price together with the Old Testament because the stories, well, part of the books of the Pearl of Great Price match up with the stories of the Old Testament. So Moses, the book of Moses, is actually a Joseph Smith translation of the books of Genesis. Uh, for the most part, they line up pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. But there's this chapter in the Joseph Smith translation that is this experience that Moses has and a conversation that Moses has with the Lord that is in the Pearl of Great Price, but not in the book of Genesis. And I think it's a fantastic way to start the year because it sets that precedence mm -hmm. for who God is, who Moses is to him, 
what God's work is and what he's calling Moses to do as part of his work. That covenant type relationship just gets established right here in this beginning lesson. And so we, we will start eventually with the story of Adam and Eve, which is the beginning of relationship with God. Right. But before we do that, we are diving into a lesson from Moses and from Abraham that a little bit helps us to understand who God is and how he works in a similar way. We're going to watch him do it with Moses. We're going to watch him do it with Abraham. Then we're going to start realizing, oh, is that how he works in my life? And then we're going to open up the Bible and begin. And we're just going to watch that work take place over and over again. So we want to pull out four things that we want you to notice about God and how he works with his children. And it, it's four phrases that come out of Moses. One, and it's I am is the first thing we're going to talk about. Two is you are. And then we're going to talk about my work, his work, God's work. And then we're going to talk about your work or our, our work and yeah. Moses's work and Abraham's work. And we want you to start watching for a pattern. So we're going to dive right in to I am. Who is God and how does he interact with his children? And you, if you've got the journal, you're going to see some verses there. But we're going to be in Moses 1 and Abraham 3 are where we're going to be pulling things out of right now. And we just want to talk about who was God? How did he introduce himself? Right. Um, especially if someone were picking up the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. This, the main character in that story is God. And it's like, and, and who is he? And what's he like? And there's a lot written about him and assumed about him that isn't correct. Yeah, and, and which we love because so many people are scared of the God of the Old Testament. And we love that yeah, Come Follow Me teaching. decided to introduce us to God. And this is the character of God. This is who God is. This is his vision for all of us and let's start right here and remember before we dive into Genesis this is the God of the Old Testament what do we learn about him so if you jump into verse 2 just right off it's just something to think about that he sees God face to face mm. and what does that mean that God is willing to come down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Moses like what words would you use to describe someone who is because read in verse 3 I am Lord ruler. I am God, most powerful in the universe. I am almighty and I am endless. These are all things. I'm without beginning of days or end of years. I'm incomprehensible to a degree, but not inaccessible. And he is there having a face-to-face -face conversation um, with Moses. So mm. right off the bat, like there's some things that he says outright and there's things that you can imply in there. If you skip down, um, down to verse, uh, is it 35? Is that the one that yeah, I want to... Let's not go there yet, but yes, we do want to go oh, there. Okay. There's a couple other things and we're going to hit them as we go farther. But I think it's important to put them in the context of who God is. Um, in verse 4, he's going to say to Moses, and you are my son. So after he uses all those huge words, almighty, endless, you know, all the, my works never end, my words never end, all of these things. But then he's like, also... I'm your father, right? So also remember that. Like there, there are a lot of big words that describe me. But now let's go to some intimate words that I am your father, he tells him. In verse 6, he says, I have a work for you. And I love that then we realize he is a giver of purpose. 
That's one of the things that he does and not purpose to multitudes, purpose to ones, right? He says, all things are present before me and, but, and I know and, them all, he says. Yeah, and I like that word where he says, all things are present. And I just want to also put in this section that he is present, mm. you know, that he's just like, I'm not a God of the past and I'm not, I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I will be the God of your future. But I am the God of your present. Of now. And, I, and I'm here. Mm. I'm like, my presence is is here. Do you remember my friend when he, um, he was just, uh, had got that really terrible news about his mother's just terminal diagnosis. And he went to the temple and on the drive there, he said he prayed this prayer. And I've never forgotten it. And I've prayed that prayer also. And he just said, I don't necessarily need answers right now or solutions. But my request is, will you please just be present? Mm-hmm. Like, will you just be here? In companionship and there, and that has been a really powerful prayer for me to pray and mm. I love knowing almighty endless spanning the universe without yeah, end. I know the but, ending yeah but but present mm. but I'm here that's so good um, the last one then that we want to go to here, oh yeah. I think is in verse 35 and um, every week we choose a word that we love the most from every lesson that we just feel like encapsulates that lesson. And the word that we chose for this week comes out of this verse. Yeah, and we made these little posters that if you wanted to hang them up and kind of remember that, that's what you'll kind of see here. And in verse 35, he just says, "Um, there are many worlds that have passed away by the power of my word. Translation, this is not my first rodeo. (laughs) And there are many that now stand. Innumerable are they unto man. You could never, never count them. But all things are numbered unto me, for they are mine, and I know them. Mm. And you might walk through Disneyland someday and see thousands of people speaking hundreds of different languages from all over this world and feel lost in that crowd. And one thing that God wants Moses to know and all of us to know right here is you are numbered to me. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly who you are. And, 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 we just and I love, love that thought too when he's like, and, and you are mine. Oh, you know, if so you think of when, about that, that, yeah. when Andy wrote his name on the bottom of yes. Woody's foot, and it was so important <laughs> to him when he turned his foot over. And I'm like, he does the same for yes. us, except for yes. it's written on our heart, right? Yes. You are mine. And I love when he says, and foot. I know you. Right? I know you. I'm going to put God's name on my foot. Yeah. Is that oh, don't you just want to write his? That's <laughs> yes. what I just want yes. you to write is his. Like, I because is. even when you get into this, like, and you are, that might be the first thing that you would say. Like, I am, if I'm talking about me, his. And before we go there, you know? it's so fun to think of this word numbered. Oh, one yeah. of the ones, one of the things we wanted to do this year, we learned from our Israel friend that we met several years ago, that every Hebrew word can have like 20 different meanings and understanding all of them helps you understand that concept better. And so at the bottom of these posters, we've gathered these words and numbered, which is pronounced, let me see if I'm going to get it right, mana. Um, it can also mean to count, to number, to reckon, or to assign. And there's something about that that's very, very deliberate. Like when mm-hmm. you count things, you're just like, you don't want to miss one. 
The reason yeah. you're counting something is because you're like, oh, one can't be left out. I have to know mm. exactly. And what's going to be, a, you are assigned. You are getting. And like, that's, that's what we're going to so talk cool. about next. It's coming. We, yeah, we love the thought that he's like, numbered isn't just you were counted, like you count off in the car when you're with 30 kids on a field trip. But part of that numbering was assigning a purpose, right? And and so we're going to move into you are, but then we're going to move into this thought the, about purpose. The works, right? So come back to that word, my. I love that so much. You are going to find this all throughout scripture. And in our journal, we're actually keeping track of the covenants that God makes to Israel each week. So we want, we want to keep pointing this out. Um, as we go through. And one of the things that you want to know about that word my is it is covenantal language. It's possessive. Um, if I were to use the word my, I'm usually talking about a really close personal intimate relationship. Mm. If I said like my Jack or my Jenny or something like that. So when he says you are mine, that's a claiming word. It's a covenantal word. But on our side of it, we would say, I am his. That's my identity, right? Mm. And I'm, I'm not a worker. I'm not a servant of his. I'm a child. I have child status with him. When he says, I'm almighty, I'm Lord, I'm God, I'm endless. And you are my boy. You're, you're mine. Mm. And my attention is, is on you. Um, we also learn from some of those verses that we have here. You come down to, to verse 10 and, and Moses has shown a vision in this chapter of the creations of God. And when it's over, he just passes out. He loses his strength <laughs> for many hours. You know, it says he just is like, oh my goodness. He did not have Google Earth back then. So imagine just seeing like the whole earth and these creations. And he's like, holy cow. And then after a couple hours, it's so cute. God just waits for him to wake up. Um, he gets his strength and he says, Wow. Um, now I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed before. I, I, I thought it was a pretty big deal. I was a prince in Egypt. There's a movie made about me with songs. And I, but like, I had no idea how small I am compared to everything else. I had no idea how big God is in all of this. But once again, you are finding in this story, there's a face-to-face -face conversation happening. He's like, yes, you are small compared to everything that I've created, but you are actually everything to me. Uh, God's big, but not too big for any of us. And you love that he's going to, he's let Moses know who he is, his bigness, but also his intimacy, because what happens next in the story is Satan comes. And one of my favorite parts of this story that you'll look at and read is when Satan comes, he says, Moses, son of man, it's verse 12, right? worship yeah. me in verse 12. And I love how Moses answers in verse 13, um, where he's like, hold on, I am a son of God, right? I love that he's like, let me just remind you who I am. And I love that thought where he probably did feel so small in that moment and Satan wanted him to feel like nothing and weak. And I love that Moses in that moment is like, you, you can call me that, but also remember, I am a son of the almighty, the one who is endless, the one who knows the end, right? The one who is present. I am the son of him. Yeah. Yeah. You love that thought. I remember I, I had this man that I worked with who used to come and clean the Provo seminary. Um, after hours and sometimes I would be there when my first year is kind of studying and getting ready and one day he came by my office and he kind of passed by and then he came back and he looked in and he was like hey 
And I was like, um, hey. And then he was like, do you need anything? And I was like, uh, no, I think I'm good. And then he was like, well, if you do. And then he like looked to the left and right. And then he was like, I can ask him. And I was like, oh. And then he said, I have an in. I'm his son. <laughs> and then he just walked away. Yeah, <laughs> Don't so yes. I have an in. Yes, I'm, I'm his, his son. son. And this is what he says back to him, right? He's just yeah. like, son of man. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm actually a son of God. And it's so cool if you want to tie verse 13 back up to verse um, 4. He gets that identity from God himself. Like, that's who told him that. Mm. And there's something really powerful about, I get my identity from him directly. Yes, yes. You know? that's so good. Um, and I love this too, as you think about your friend who was the janitor, because Moses knows that too. He knows that same thing. He tells us it in verse 18. He says, I will not cease to call upon God. I have other things to inquire of him. And I love that thought that he's like, I can talk to him whenever I want. Mm. I have other things I want to talk to him about. <laughs> and, cool. and I am confident that he will answer me. And you love that kind of confidence as he is going to enter into this. And then we're going to go into what is God's work and what is our work. So if you forgot that last verse, part of 18, where it oh. says, so you can leave now. Oh. <laughs> because FYI, this is who I am. This is the relationship we have with each other. This is who he is. So by default, this is who we are together. Therefore, <laughs> you can <leave>. farewell. <laughs> you can <laughs> be gone. Awesome. Right? So God's going to say, um, and we can just talk about this part quickly, what his work is. And I love when you start out reading about God's work um, when Moses is standing in the presence of God in verse 31. And he's talking to him face to face. And God says to him, I've come for my own purpose. And here is wisdom. And I love that what you find out from that is that God is individual. And he is intimate. He works one by one. That is how he does things. And I love that. And, and, that, and that he has a purpose. Yes. You know, he's like, this is intentional. Yes. This is not like... Yeah, and what I'm going to talk to David about is different than what I'm going to talk to Emily about. And that's going to be different than this. And I, yeah. I just love that that's how he is. And then we get to that verse that's so familiar to us. In verse 39, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of men. And sometimes that feels so future. And we love keeping God so present. And, right. and I love sometimes thinking about um, this is someone who is present now to guarantee our eternal progress and increase. That progress that's starting now, that work that's starting now, that purpose now, he, he wants to say, we're just beginning. Like you're gonna keep growing and increasing and progressing. That's my work is to make sure you get to continue yeah. in the things that you love doing. And, and that word eternal life can seem so futuristic and people use it as a future term all the time. And maybe they're right when they say it, but Jesus uses that word in the present. And he says, I want you to experience life. And remember synonyms that are light and love and progression mm -hmm. and like, I, and relationship. Those are all, I want you to write. Jesus says, this is life eternal currently that you may know God, the eternal father and his son, Jesus Christ, that you can live in relationship mm -hmm. with them. That's so good. 
that word, if I were to sum up, if you were to find a verse, they were like, what are the purposes of God? If he had a wish and a hope and a dream and an intention and for everything that he was doing, and you were to be so presumptuous as to cram it into one English word, I think I would pick the word become. Mm. That's my, in, for you to become something more, to enjoy yeah, that's something so more. Good. To, that's you such know? a good word. Um, I love too that we're going to get this reminder again in verse 35 that all things are numbered unto me. They are mine and I know them. And that's part of his work is to know people, is to number people, it's to keep track of people and, and to be a giver of purpose in those moments. And I love that. And, and one more before we jump into your work in that 38. And he says, and there is no end to my works, mm. um, which is, this is ongoing. Yeah. Right. You're I'm not done with you ever. Yeah. Don't you like that? Yeah, I'm like not going to so tap much. out now. That's his work. And now he's going to say, and this is your work. And if you go back up to verse six, it's where he introduces it to him. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're my son. And he says, and I have a work for you, Moses, my son, for you in particular. I have I, I have something for you to be a part of something bigger than you. Right. And it's and again, we're finding that super individual calling him by name. Very intimate. I have a specific purpose and work just for you. And it's cool that he tells him in that verse six also. And you are in similitude of mine only begotten. He has a work also that I sent him to that was very particular to him. And your work will be patterned after his work. And we see that in Moses, right? Jesus's work was to deliver God's people. And Moses's work will be to right. deliver God's people. And you love that Moses one is a little bit like Moses's patriarchal blessing that yeah, God is fun. kind of setting fun. him up for like, go to 25. This is one of my favorite parts. As you read through this, just read it with that in mind that there are going to be some of those hints, but I love thinking about this in 25. And maybe you relate to it when you got your patriarchal blessing, because did you go into your blessing with like expectation? Like, Oh, I hope they say this. Like I really wanted my patriarch to say, you will be there at the second coming on this day. That's what I wanted. <laughs> it's funny because I wanted him to say, you are going to be a Hollywood star. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, and that would show you the yeah, difference between us. <laughs> and mine said nothing about the second coming. So that's mine what didn't happened. call me a Hollywood I, star either. And so I love know. in 25, God says this to Moses. Now just imagine, this is Moses, right? Standing by this bush moment. He's taking care of sheep, everyone. And God says this. And calling upon the name of God, in verse 25, he beheld his glory again, for it was upon him. And he heard a voice saying, Behold, Blessed art thou, Moses. I added, behold. It, it was getting really exciting right then. That felt exciting. Blessed yeah. art thou, Moses, for I, the Almighty, remember, that's who I am. I'm this big. I've chosen you. That's so awesome. I handpicked you. Yes. That's what I wanted to say. And then he says this. Here's your gift. You will be made stronger than many waters. And do you think Moses was like, that's it? That's my gift? <laughs> And do you wonder how many times he was like, of any superpower I could have stronger than many waters? He's in the middle of a desert, right? And how many times did he look back at that thing and he's like, why did he bless me to be stronger than many waters? Do you wonder how many times he thought that to himself? Yeah. And I love the thought that one moment when all of Israel is standing there and the chariots are racing down the mountain 
and the Red Sea is in front of him and everybody's looking at Moses like, what are you going to do? And Moses could have been like, yeah, what are we going to do? But I think Moses probably said this. Oh, wait a minute. I was <laughs> promised by the Almighty to be stronger than many waters. We are going to be fine, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. And I just love that little hint. And it's probably true for all of us have that one moment we can look back at and be like, oh, yes, I was promised whatever that promise was. And so as you're keeping track of these covenant promises, words that you're going to write down um, are mine and numbered. That's a covenant. He will number us. We're going to yeah. see that covenant come back again in numbers, actually. Um, you're going to see these promises, but you're going to see individual covenant promises too. God covenanted with Moses that he would be. He promised him, you will be stronger than many waters. And I love that. And then in 26, that hint again of what you brought up in six, because you will deliver my people from bondage, even Israel, my chosen. And just like how in detail that purpose and that promise were for Moses will be the same for us. So as you're looking through in your journal and you're thinking, okay, here's God's promise to covenant Israel. Now, where am I seeing similar promises like that in my life? Yeah. Where do I see that I am his? Where do I see that I have purpose? Where is that purpose specific and individual to me and to be able to be thinking about that? Um, we go from here in Moses to Abraham. And, and maybe the place to jump off, because I just, you're going to see this twice, right? You're going to see a lot of things twice. And maybe a cool study um, session that you might have with these chapters is to compare Moses's experience mm -hmm. and the words God says to him and the promises God says to him in Moses 1 and Abraham's in Abraham 3. And we gave you some references in the journal there. Um, but you'll where find, they match. yeah, where they match up, uh, and you'll find, and you'll find other ones, and, and they'll be easy to see. Like you're gonna, you're gonna see places where he introduces who he is, and he's gonna say who Abraham is, and he's gonna call him my son, and and they're gonna be face to face. Like you want to be looking for similar parallels there, right? And that one that he just ended is one that we're that verse twenty six is one that we're gonna come back to at the very end, at the end of the journal, but. Should I, we do that one and then this, or what do you want to? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay. We, we can go um, first. Abraham 3, 14. We put this at the bottom of the journal, and it's so similar to Moses 1, 26. Um, that got a little cut off with the binding. binding. So it's 1, 26 that she just read at the end. It says, I am with you. And you read this in Abraham 13. Um, it was in the nighttime when the Lord spake these words unto me. And I'm so captured by that phrase at the beginning of that. Mm. It was like, this came in a dark time for me yeah um that these words came and he says i will multiply you and your seed after you and so much that you will not be able to number but he says i am with you even until the end of days he says to moses and i will multiply you he says to abraham and those are also covenant words you want to put in the promises to covenant israel god will be with you until the end and that he will multiply you that he will help you to become, that he will make you something more and help you enjoy more than you currently mm. do. It's so good. Um, one of the things that we want to make sure we help happen this year for all of us is to be able to find our application in these stories, to be able to see, okay, how does knowing Moses' story and Abraham's story help me? And as we end today, 
Um, I'm just going to read out of the devotional book that we pulled together for this year. One of my favorite thoughts as I read through Moses 1 and Abraham 3, because just like we went through and saw Moses and God's plan for Moses, right? I am God and you are my son and I have a work for you. And then he does that again with Abraham. I am God. You are my son and I have a work for you. And he would say the same to me. I am God and you are my daughter and I have a work for you. And as I think about where we are right now at the end of this year, and we're just getting ready to enter into a brand new year, right? 2022. And I don't know what the beginning of January looks like for you or even the end of December, but it tends to be a time when all of us just sit down and we're like, okay, who am I and what do I do? And what is my purpose for this year? And Maybe as the sun rises on that morning of January 1st, like it does every new year, and you just feel the promise of like that clean slate ahead of you. I wonder if we might begin the day asking the Lord what the work is he has for us hmm. in this new year and what strength he will give us to be able to accomplish that work, whatever it might be for us. And Maybe we feel overwhelmed by that or intimidated by that. And then we learn from Moses and we maybe read, I am the Lord God Almighty and endless is my name. And behold, you are my son or my daughter and I have a work for you. And maybe we will ask, what is that work, Lord? And how might I discover it? And then we will think back to what we learned from Moses. I will not cease to call upon God because I have other things to inquire of him. And we'll set a resolution this year that we will not cease to call upon God to be reminded who he is and who we are and that great work he has in mind for us. And what if it's a challenge that seems bigger than I am? Or what if we don't feel like we're equal to the task? And I love that his answer brings comfort and instills confidence. Blessed are you, for I, the Almighty, have chosen thee and you will be made stronger. I just love the thought of I will help you be whatever you need this year. And if the Lord had a work for Moses, then surely he has a work for every one of us. And if the Lord knew Moses and called him son, then surely he knows every one of us individually. We are his. And so maybe as we walk away from this lesson, we could inquire of him. Um, I love the thought of that one prayer that just, will you be present with me right now? And will you remind me that I am precious in your eyes, that I am yours. And will you help unfold the work you have in mind for me yeah. this year? And what will that look like for each of us? Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, we're excited, y'all. See you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.